times. Okay, it's working. Uh, we're doing our off-site practice. <laughs> uh, today's good. How are you doing? I love your scrunchie. Oh, thank you. It's Hara, the label. <laughs> we love Hara here. I just put a new order uh, with them for the the little shorts. I'm excited. Nice. The Gabby shorts. <laughs> yeah, literally, which is like a whole thing. <laughs> Um, I woke up to the 2020 year in pictures Mm. and I have to say emotions are, emotions are high. Yeah. It's an emotional piece for sure. They go in. I'm only on February. Like I got to Kobe Bryant's death Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's also really nice to see photography showcased in this way when we're so used to it being everywhere and thinking that the art is dead in some way and then seeing these really beautiful definitive shots and being like okay this is what it takes the real professionals step in yeah yeah totally and I think it really takes putting them in a context where they're important you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) which is interesting that's what art is context it's all about context it's like art is everything Art is everything, but we put it in this white room. And then in this sense, it's like everything. Photos are so easy, but we put it on this website. It's really fantastic. Yeah, I got to the Nancy Pelosi ripping up Trump's speech. And it's such a great... Oh, I'm there yeah, right now. it's so great. It's just so... You know, I wonder... It's just this feeling that doesn't... That's very apparent now. I had it also last night when I was watching um, Trump's vaccine announcement. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was discussing it with a friend, and they were like, it really had game show vibes. And I was like, everything is really feeling like... Especially with him. You're flipping through the channels. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, madness. But I am feeling the the simulation energy that more than ever... (laughs) And also the energy. But I was thinking, and I want to hear your opinion on Mm -hmm. this, is that, you know, I was thinking a lot about how sort of wrapping up 2020 in a year is extremely relevant and feels very strong. You know, and I know how everyone always wants to argue and be like, what's a year? Like, you know, new year, new me is fake. But to have such a narrative-based brain, I was thinking like I was getting emotional from the New York Times thing and realizing that this whole year I've just sort of barreled through it and just been like, okay, I'm not going to look at the news too much. I don't want to see it as it's happening right now because it'll just create chaos. But looking at it now, I'm now getting so emotional and this whole narrative arc is building. And I was like, is narrative what gives us intense emotion? Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think when you, well, narrative and then attachment to the narrative, right? So we can have a narrative and look at it as an observer. But I think Mm -hmm. it's hard to do that because I think as human beings, we were, you know, we evolved around the fire listening to the narrative shared for survival where it was like this scary thing came up behind me and it was told in a story Mm -hmm. so we have deep connection to it it's in our dna so it's hard not to connect to the narrative totally but i think that it's important 
to take stock of a year just because our brains can't comprehend that much. <laughs> and so it's nice to have a year to to kind of bookend things. Yeah, totally. And I just feel I've seen so much kind of back and forth about I mean, there's been this common theme of calling the whole year 2020 or like, what else will 2020 give us? And using 2020 as this kind of blanket statement for all the chaos and, you know, really tragic events. And a lot of people were in criticism of that, of like, you know, or even when you see every year, you know, when it's New Year's time, there's the people that say New Year, New Me. (laughs) And there's the people that say, time is fake, bitch, I'm gonna be the same person, (laughs) you know, like, and so... I think about that a lot and I was like well that's true time is a construct you know like things being blocked off by years are essentially made up and maintained Um, but in the same way (laughs) you know we are so narrative based whether that's the ego and like you said like storytelling is so important that it makes sense that as you know, a human race and like generations of civilization have worked to make it easier for us to establish narrative and time markers so that we can tell these stories that satisfy us and make us so emotional. Right. You know, and it's like 2020 being wrapped up, like, you know, if we just let it kind of fade into time, there wouldn't be that opportunity for reflection that makes things happen that makes people come together that makes people realize how precious Mm -hmm. life is because you know like I was saying like my coping mechanism this whole year was just being like don't look at the news too much just keep going you know and it's like when things don't wrap up you could just be in that forever and not stop and take stock and I found that I went from someone being like time is a construct months are made up blah 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 (laughs) To being like, this is actually really, really helpful. And I'm grateful for these kind of worldwide blockages of time. Yeah, yeah. I remember last year I was being a total Grinch. And I said, um, I wish we didn't have any holidays. I I wish I could get rid of all of them. Tea. And I was talking to a friend and he was like, well, I understand that. But it is also nice to have a collective celebration and collective way to pass the time Mm -hmm. and from that point on I was like man I'm wrong you know there's a lot of hype around holidays that I think is unnecessary you know in terms of commercialization but we pagans celebrated holidays and they didn't have to go to the target and buy weird gifts for one another Mm -hmm. there's a reason for it Yeah, 100%. And you and I are always talking about globalization, you know, and it just makes sense that with the internet especially and with our essential, like, it's just so wild to me to think about what humans naturally strive for. And if you just look at the history of everything, it's like globalization. Like, we are always trying to, like, figure out the entire world and to know that there's these very few, actually, contexts that we all share you know, whether that is a holiday or in this Mm -hmm. case, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, I think this is the only context that the entire, entire world will be in, like, in my lifetime, you know, because even the internet is like, not everyone has the internet, Mm -hmm. but everybody was susceptible to this pandemic and had to deal with yeah, yeah. closures and the same news and the same everything. Yeah. 
Oof. So with that being said, I do, I have a new appreciation for time markers. I think, yeah, it's also like if you think about people when they're in isolation, how we we need something for our brains to cling to. And I think that's why time is important. Totally. And time markers. We need to make sense. We need to And also the ourselves. sun goes up and down, you know, the moon rises and falls. It's not, it's not as if the world is actually constructed as a timeless entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I was thinking the year is arranged in seasons, which are very directly based on, like, earth patterns, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Which is very serious. I'm a very different person bodily in winter than I am in summer. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I I thrive in summer. (laughs) And then winter, it's like, wait, I'm I'm an ill person. Yeah. Like, winter just fucks me. Um, No, it's very, very fun to think about the way that these things are sweet and helpful so our episode today i guess is going to be very structured around um the minimalist nativity scene phenomenon which began as sort of on twitter somebody um kind of just brought attention to it and it was happening on etsy mostly where a lot of these etsy artists were making the these just minimalist nativity scenes and advertising them as you know, minimalist, better home interior design friendly nativity scenes. And someone brought attention to it on Twitter, which got so many re- different kinds of reactions. And I also posted on Sai Swoon and got so many different reactions. And I want to talk about kind of the nature of each mm-hmm. one. Um, but it went sort of viral. And then people started first having a lot of discourse about it, but then also making their own kind of funny nativity scenes like people were like arranging candy and like (laughs) arranging cleaning supplies and it became just like a yeah like a a meme it was a meme um so i'm gonna actually type into nativity (laughs) never never type that word um oh my god i totally spelled it wrong um so I'm just gonna have the Twitter page open, but there was a an article that kind of wrapped it up in the Guardian, which was kind of the only article I saw that kind of took on the task, put it all together, and was like, "Here's some, yeah." And it was like, "They're all here." Um, minimalist nativity scene, great. Um, so I guess I can explain the original post that went viral, which had they're just photos from etsy but it was essentially like the first one was a series of spheres (laughs) like it was like there's like a brown and gray sphere and then like a blue and giant brown sphere and like a tiny white sphere sphere which represents jesus and then like an empty almost like apple box behind them (laughs) (laughs) there was pillars there was rectangular pillars Um, there was these sort of stained glass that one's really funny to me the stained glass one that's kind of like oh, I love the stained <laughs> glass like one translucent yeah it's very very spiritual I will say um, but just like figures just shapes and then you kind of just fill in the blanks yourself um, what was your reaction when you saw these James I, I love them yeah. I think they're the future yes Um, yes (laughs) I also think the stained glass one to me was the future um it reminded me of being in a cathedral and I felt like it was bringing the cathedral home Mm -hmm. I also think that you know 
historically Catholics were, um, Catholics are Catholics because they have icons. And so this is kind of a beautiful way yes. of um, bringing the icons into the abstract. So we, you know, we're worshiping the nativity scene, but it's actually taking us out of the context of our traditional icons. So I think it actually opens up the relevance and the spirituality when you can look, I feel like you can have a spiritual experience in a cathedral and not be a Catholic and not have Mm -hmm. an understanding of that religion. And I think that's what these nativity scenes do is it brings a degree of reverence and emotion that you feel when you look at a really great contemporary art piece. And I mean, you know, you, maybe you'll look at these and you don't feel the same way, but for me, I was moved by these beautiful, Mm-hmm. Um, pieces. There was also one that I found that wasn't in the article and I felt like it was left out. Um, but it was just, it's just, un, it seems like unbaked uh, white clay. And they're just little. Oh, was it that Etsy link you yes, sent me? Yes, yes. It's. Um, oh, okay, that was a good I, one. Yeah, you sent that to it me. It looks basically like like dough. And they look like little just like dough fingers and one doe finger is sort of leaning over towards the center piece, which is two little pieces of dough stacked <laughs> on top of one another. But then they're under oh this God. sort of petal-like shape that sort of reminds me of the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> and it's just... Oh my God, I was going to say that. I was like, Opera House yes. energy. Um, also, if anyone wants to bring it up, like you're like curious, the, it's on Etsy. The title is Nativity Set, Modern Nativity Set, White Nativity Set. And the <laughs> creator is named Tatiana and her shop username is Nativity Stable T-O-S-T. Nativity Stable Tossed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks like Sydney Opera House. Also, what I love about it is that the two figures on the right mm-hmm which I guess is like Mary and Joseph God, right? Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I always I always think that God had Jesus. Um. Well, he did, but like through Mary. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Okay, so I'm kind of right. I just <laughs> I think <laughs> I think um I Okay, wait. That really <laughs> Sorry, that's hitting me a little bit. That opens things up a bit. <laughs> Because, I mean, that's true. Like, God is, I've just been thinking about Mm. God a lot. And God is just, if we take away Christianity and everything, God is just the energy of life. Mm. You know Mm. what I mean? And then Christianity and Catholicism distracts us by saying it's like this man. Mm. But it's really like, Joseph and Mary did have fucking sex. They did. Yeah. (laughs) But the whole point, the whole point is that by the grace of God, we're alive. Okay, whatever. But hitting (laughs) but what i love about the nativity scene (laughs) is um the way that they're leaning forward i love that yes 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 yes. like they look like like it makes them sentient totally because like like there's the fact that expression can be found in a shape leaning forward like kills me like these things are blobs they don't have faces but the fact that all of them are standing up straight and then the one that's supposed to be Mary is like peeking into the bassinet. It's moving. Like, it's moving. Blows my mind. Yeah. It is moving. It, yeah. And it's like, 
it's nice to experience that simplicity. It's like, I don't need this like caricature of a person. My other big major thing with this was, and this is interesting because people felt the opposite. But when I saw these, I was like, finally, like the whole issue with religion is the humanness of it, of it. The fact that we say, oh, Jesus looks like this. Mary looked like this. You know, they were white. They were this. Mm-hmm. They were blue eyed. Like that's where the issues come in because when we have icons that are supposed to represent spirituality, which should be faceless, should be identityless, should be a hundred percent based in energy and feeling and storytelling and should be able to be applied to everyone's mm-hmm. life. You know what I mean? I think every culture, everyone should think that their God looks like them, mm-hmm. you know? And this finally did that. I was like, this, you know, narrates the story, narrates the energy without any politics. Yeah. No, it's incredible. It's so good. <laughs> without any politics. They do remind me of the, the thumb people and spy kids. <laughs> okay, they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I love them for that. I really like yeah. this one. This one's the best. It really honestly... The one you found on Etsy. The Guardian missed out when they didn't include this one. I want this nativity scene. It's $51.20. The one that you that we're talking about right now, James sent me, it didn't make it to the uh, Twitter collage even though it definitely should have yeah. <laughs> um, so good and I mean I almost want to make my own like I just feel like this could just be a new medium yeah. and it absolutely should be yeah. <laughs> it's genius okay but I do want to say I want to say after what I said about the distance being a good mm-hmm. thing one of I shared it in my on uh, Sai Suing page and then someone shared it in their story and wrote, wow, another way that uh, white people are demystifying <laughs> demystifying uh, spirituality. And I was like, that is the complete opposite to me. Mm. You know, I felt, I read that and I was like, what a crazy take because I was like, the issue with white spirituality or white Catholicism, white Christianity is spreading the message of whiteness and using it to colonize people sure, right yeah but when you take take away the whiteness take away blue-eyed jesus mm-hmm. you know take away like we're pure and you're not let's save mm-hmm. you all you have is these blobs that you could project anything onto and i just thought that was such a crazy take i was like i think that's crazy yeah <laughs> I think that's that wild. is really wild because <laughs> this yeah you can project anything onto these shapes it doesn't have any it's interesting. I'm trying to think of how to counter that and how to side with them, but I just well because can't. I think when cultural identity comes into it, is it because there's a hipsterness to this? I think that's what it was. I think that they said that because it's easy to say anything that millennials do or anything that is done from Etsy. Like people kind of have this. Like there's like layers of discussing kind of like millennial whiteness, and I feel like the very surface level one is sort of anything (laughs) like anything that's sort of rebranded and somewhat stylish must be wrong (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i don't know but but i would understand if you know if nativity scenes were you know if nativity scenes and the aesthetic of Christianity and Catholicism was, let's say, black or brown people, then it would make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're taking away race. Yeah. But if nativity scenes and 
the aesthetics of the way that these important, you know, figures that are supposed to be seen as pure and godly, if they weren't represented as white people, then, you know, like this isn't, this doesn't take anything. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't uplift white people. It just kind of brings us back to the story. Yeah. (laughs) in a way yeah i think because it's the classic nativity scene in the classic portrayal of jesus is this little white cherub you know yeah it's like little jesus so we're we're getting away from that yeah and we're like you know it's also this i've seen a lot of conversations about this now that spirituality is sort of you know being tried on more than ever and it's kind of like we have this like second new age awakening um Mm. is i think what people fail to sort of realize is that spirituality magic worship isn't owned by anyone Mm. but every culture has a different aesthetic and Mm -hmm. a different different identity so for example it's like someone who's practicing magic in one country and then someone who's practicing magic in another country you know based on years of research and you know these kind of cults civilizations they're accessing the same energy but with different tools you know so it's Mm -hmm. like the deities have different names the tools are different um and the whole idea is if you aren't exposed to certain deities or certain tools you shouldn't be using them you know what i mean you can't just go online and be like you know who's the god of of love in africa and then be like okay i'm gonna go talk to them you know Mm -hmm. Even in my house, I mean, my dad, growing up, he was like, never, ever (laughs) say the name of somebody you don't know or weren't introduced to just out loud. (laughs) Somebody, a human person? Yeah, because one time I was calling my sister, like, you know, like when you just like make up names. Uh Uh-huh. And my dad was like, don't do that. (laughs) He was like, you don't know who you're calling upon. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And I kept that alive. Like, even in the Spells and Rituals Guide, I'm like, you need to have your own names for whoever's power is inflicting on you, and you can't take someone else's unless... Like, it's one thing if, you know, your friend introduces you or, like, a leader introduces you and says, you know, this is who I talk to, and, like, you know, but it's... There's something funny about that. But what I'm getting at is, like, (laughs) I see a lot of people online acting like spirituality is something that can be appropriated, but it's, like, the essence of spirituality as a essence of life something like we all feel our soul you know Mm -hmm, every mm -hmm. single one of us feels our soul and feels this connectivity and we try to make sense of it and as human beings we need to use objects and words and titles and writing and stories right and you know for the beginning of time this has happened and so I see a lot of people making the mistake of you know saying spirituality is new thing (laughs) spirituality is you know, been figured out by something else and now you're stealing it. It's like, no, spirituality is the essence of life, but you have to be very careful with the objects you use, the ritual you use, the stories you tell, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... That's wild. I think it's, um, people who are raised in, like, in a Catholic, Christian, Anglo-Saxon, whatever, religion, sometimes have a negative connotation with those people and that whole religion and can turn Mm -hmm. away from it but I think and then you get people who are just you know claiming they're a witch (laughs) and they just like decided to do that because they didn't like going to church you know but I think Mm -hmm. 
something that I would recommend for those people is seeing if you can detach from the negative narrative that might have formed around uh, the spiritual figures in Christian religions because it's actually, mm-hmm. there's a lot of beauty to Mary, you know, the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. and, um, and a lot of power just within her. And it's, if we're able to actually claim that religion with a open heart rather than something that, you know, I think Christianity is one of the most evil religions out there because of, <laughs> because of the way that it's been wielded as a tool to, 100%. you know, colonize. Um, yeah. But it's just, I personally have found so much connection with, with the symbol of Mary and, but if we're, if we just turn our back and say, you know, this doesn't work for me, I think that that's not Mm -hmm. doing the work that you need to do. Um, Yes. Because you can explore other symbols and other deities, gods, whatever, but you do have to Mm -hmm. kind of make friends with with what you have. (laughs) Yeah, and I also feel like something that's very flawed is the idea that Christianity is like the opposite of witchcraft or the opposite of freedom or the opposite of ritual. And something I figured out early on was that Christianity is so ritualistic. It it attempts to accomplish the same things Mm -hmm. as witchcraft or new age spirituality. And I can just say in the sense that, you know, you go to midnight mass and you eat a cracker that represents the body of Jesus and you drink grape juice that represents the wine or with blood, whatever. Right. Is it? Yeah. Blood. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like that is like witchcraft 101 Mm -hmm. is putting a story or a spirit into an object Mm -hmm. and then having the physical ritual of you know of not enjoying but experiencing that moment and it's like christianity is essentially witchcraft ritual spirituality everything Mm -hmm. everything um it just became inflated by the ego people got a hold of it and started using it to govern and set rules that weren't very true but just you know, we're based out of fear and this obsession with what I truly think is <laughs> like, I really think every religion and you and I talked about this, mm-hmm. you said this about heaven and I'm going to have you repeat it because it was so good. I think about it all the time that every religion, including Christianity believes in energy and past lives in the mm-hmm. sense that they want you to leave earth in this life, mm-hmm. you know? So Christianity, Catholicism, whatever, And a good example of that is like they, you know, that's the goal, right? But that's different for everyone. It's all about vibration, right? But Catholicism says like, you know, do this on Friday, do this on Sunday, Mm -hmm. you know, don't do this, like be straight, be hetero, all these things that actually don't have anything to do with raising your vibration on earth, right? right. (laughs) you know? And Mm -hmm. so they invent, invent all these things and promise salvation. But what salvation really is, which pretty much every religion touches on in some way, is the idea that you get to leave suffering, that your energy mm-hmm. when you die gets to move on to a new plane. Yeah. And you said that about heaven. You were like, you know, Jesus is God's heaven mm-hmm. is a representation of bodiless existence, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the the King James Bible, I always come back to this, but the King James Bible was rewritten by men to control society. 
it was a way religion became a way to control the masses before there was real government right we were told to do all these things because it was easier to control a society that is mm -hmm. obedient and so i would be really interested in seeing the original letters to the corinthians you know all these things that are mm -hmm. in the bible but were edited like now things are edited it was the same it was edited purposefully um, mm -hmm. and we were told that suffering is okay because it's easier to raise a society who's okay with suffering mm -hmm. and that directly ties into capitalism because if you think about capitalism mm -hmm. it comes from a puritan um culture and yeah work hard blood sweat and tears you'll yeah, be rewarded yeah exactly do it all make it happen and the reward is in the afterlife it's not even here it's like life shouldn't be a pleasurable experience but none of that is true mm -hmm. and i don't think and i do think if you have a problem with um i can, i was raised in with the catholicism um background so i can't speak to mm -hmm. other parts of christianity but if you have a problem with catholicism i totally understand that but the 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 energy is bigger than the words i do think that 100 language is such a problem like we if we can evolve past language we would be so much better but for now we're yes, struggling and the narrative tied to the language and it's important to have that but i think it's also important to look at life in like kind of these different compartments in the sense that that like yes god jesus the image of jesus the narrative has ruined lives and has mm -hmm. created and has you know bled into culture non-religious culture of how we see the world and how we prosecute people and all these terrible things but that's true and that needs to unpack in a tangible way but we also need to look at what these religions and why they even got this far and like why like what is the energy behind god i always tell people like i do like <laughs> Like, I love God, but not because of Christianity, not because of Catholicism. I don't say mm -hmm. I love God and think about church and think about worship and think about all these egotistical rules. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, what is the word God like? What does it encapsulate in a whole? Mm -hmm. You know, if you take away all the bullshit that has been rewritten, rewritten by all these human people... Mm -hmm trying to get answers <laughs> um mm -hmm. and their ego is getting in the way and it's really just the design of life god is the design of life mm -hmm. you know the same way that god apparently went into the body of virgin mary it's like yeah that's the beauty of creation which you can appreciate without catholicism and without <laughs> christianity yeah i yeah. don't know it, it really like really really ignites me to think about all that um, yeah 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 i also think we the people's attachment to the word god is so complicated and um mm -hmm. for, for me personally i don't even feel much of anything when i hear that word because it was used so much in my household growing up so mm -hmm. for me like source is what i i always come to and mm -hmm. commune with and um but it's interesting because like that's your word and then that this is my word but they have the same energy mm -hmm. we're feeling the yeah. same thing you know totally so there's a beauty in finding what word works for you and if that's god that's god you know what's interesting mm -hmm. is i think one of the reasons why i don't 
resonate with that word is the shape of my mouth. Because when I say mm. God, I don't really get the D. I don't get the hard. I don't get God. the hard D. <laughs> yeah, when I say God, my tongue like slaps the, the yeah. roof of my mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. But whenever God. I say it, it's just like it's a soft ending that it doesn't feel. Uh, God. But then I'm like, oh, source. God. And source is like, source, you know. There's a soaringness yeah. to it. My dad says my dad says source energy mm-hmm. with a lot of conviction. That's what he said. I was surprised when he said that because that's yeah. I, you've always been the one to say source. And then I was like, my my shut in Brazilian father <laughs> says source energy. Also, yeah. my dad, who is not a millennial, source energy. <laughs> I really love that. Yeah, I think energy is the same thing as God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the design of life is the same thing as God. I think the shit that you feel on shrooms and you're like everything's connected and i'm you know that's just like this it's a key point mm-hmm. to life i mean it's we're very lucky point. to be here i think we're very lucky i'm so happy to be alive in a time of transition mm-hmm. you know what i mean like we were not born into a society or a you know time in the world where the the rule of the art of our society was Christianity or Catholicism or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like we're in a time of transit where it's like, Oh, like we're post Jesus (laughs) and we get to criticize it. Yeah, absolutely. And with all this turmoil that we've been experiencing in the year of 2020 and in the years leading up to it, that was also, Uh that's also hope, which we've talked about the word hope, before and I do use that word intentionally but there's Mm -hmm. an optimism that by dealing with things it will lead to something better so yeah totally yeah the more that we can kind of poke at the better okay that's just so igniting to think about all the time that's like (laughs) I just think it's so every time I think about it it just feels nothing but the truth you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess I encourage anyone who's more interested in this to just kind of look at every <laughs> religion or spiritual practice and like what it kind of tries to accomplish and mm-hmm. it's really just ascension. It's like an energetic ascension. I mean, if you look at and you know, in the bounds of our physical bodies in the sense that you go to church and everyone sings in unison and right. recites in unison. I mean, you do that with spells, you know. Mm-hmm. How did um witches achieve mass hysteria together you know Mm -hmm. to get so high so ether and communicate with these forces is like repetition you know certain movements yeah you know focusing all your energy in one place i really liked this thing that um the show midnight gospel they had a duncan trussell no he made the show was it him i don't know they had a guest all i know is it's episode three and it's about magic Mm -hmm. and he put it so simply and he was like magic well, he says, even about the religion thing, he says all religions and all magic, you know, is aiming to achieve the same thing. Mm-hmm. And magic and the way that religions use magic is essentially channeling all of your focus into one thing, all of your energy into one thing, right? And then results happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think about the, um, in church, at the end you sing our father that song if you've done that with us like and everyone holds hands and you hold hands across the pews <laughs> and then at the very end Probably. everyone raises their hands together uh-huh. and it's the most pagan fucking thing like 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if you yeah. sit, if you sit and focus and meditate and move your hand from your, you know, let's say your crotch area up to your heart and you mm. focus, you can just feel things happening, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the idea of like what, 200 people in a room in unison yeah, doing a ritualistic lift. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, and you do feel it when you're there, you can feel the collective energy and it's really beautiful. I, I don't go to church anymore, but my parents and I will attend the midnight mass and I'll miss it this year. Like it's, um, there's something about it that there's mm-hmm. a, the energy is very palpable that evening. Like there's just a excitement that is funneled into one space and it's really beautiful. I went to midnight mass with your family once and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Did you ever have a period in your life where you had to go to church every Sunday? Oh, yeah. All or the anything time. like that? All the time. Growing up, we would go uh, when I was... Well, my mom converted to Catholicism when I was four. Mm-hmm. And then she... Uh, and then we, we went for years and years and years every Sunday. And when I was growing up, it was really fun. It felt like an outing. And Wait, which church did you go to in L.A.? St. Monica's for the most part. But we also went to St. Oh, Paul's and... Uh, St. Monica's a couple a couple other ones but St. Monica's was where she was baptized and um, where she took her conversion classes and stuff so also you guys this is a testament to the fact that you can be best friends with someone since you're four and not know that they went to church every Sunday because I knew your parents were religious and I knew that you would I remember big holidays you would invite me to come and we would go to their festival Mm -hmm. but I did not know you were a Sunday church goer yeah I just thought it happened in the in the house for many years damn trippy And she, what's interesting is she was baptized where they plunge your head underwater. And that was when I was four. And then the next, that was Easter Sunday. And the next Mm -hmm. week she woke up with vertigo and then that was the beginning of her illness. So the whole time we went to church, she was getting sicker and sicker and sicker, which is crazy. Yeah. So it was like after she got plunged in the water. Yeah. When, when she was baptized. Yeah. Whoa, have you been baptized? No. Oh, yes, yes. Me neither. <laughs> oh, okay. I yeah. haven't been baptized. No, I was baptized in um, in Nashville when I was like mm. one and a half years old. But I was baptized with our friend who's a Episcopalian minister. And so mm. she baptized me. And she's like this amazing woman that now runs like a... Wait, how old? When I was like how one and a half. I was like a baby. Oh, okay, okay. Baby, yeah. baby. Baby, baby. Wow. Yeah. I haven't been baptized. I remember when I think of baptized, I think of, I don't know if it's a Brazilian thing. I would have to ask some people. But my dad's friends in Amer- in L.A. that were Brazilian would, like, baptize their cars. Mm. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. I just remember hearing it and then hearing it more and more. And I don't know if it was, like, an L.A. thing or Brazil. But it was, like, all my dad's friends, obviously, are, like, Brazilian L.A. people. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'd so be they'd like, oh, I got my new car and I baptized it. <laughs> Oh my god! I was just thinking you can buy holy water. Yeah, we used to have oh, some. madness. Madness. Yeah, I never got baptized. I would. I. We would pray for a while. I remember every night we would pray. Mm-hmm. My mom would pray in German, which when you say <laughs> the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, it's Namnes Vaters. Oh, you wanted to learn German, so mm-hmm. listen up. Namnes dis Namedifat. Oh my god! No, I just. I mean, the fathers and the sonest and the hangest is Amen. 
Sonnes Hangest des Amen. Okay, the Father and the Son. It's just so trippy. Spirit. Yeah. But it just sounds so trippy because I always had to say it and I never, I didn't know German. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like I just learned how to sound it out. So even yeah. now I'm like, the Hangest and the Sonnes and the Hangest des Amen. But every night, and then my mom would say, Danke für alles, which means thank you for everything. And then she would go on to just speak English after that for Mm -hmm. us and be like, thank you for this and this. It was always like gratitude. Um, And then we started stopping because she, a lot of, in the 2000s, a lot of the stuff was coming out about like the sexual abuse. And my Mm -hmm. mom was like, she was like, if the church was really what it is, that wouldn't be happening. (laughs) And we stopped, Mm -hmm. which I really like that perspective. I was like, it's cool because like we were saying, it's like spirituality and God is its own force. And then there's the humans at the bottom with egos that fuck shit up and mm-hmm. use such a powerful thing as a, as a fucking power tool. But yeah, that was good. But yeah, she was like, no, she was like, I heard that they were touching kids. And I was like, yeah, I respect this is not, lot. yeah. She was like, this is not it. <laughs> we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, I met some other people, like one of my, um, like ex-boyfriends, for example, his parents had the same experience and they were from Mexico mm-hmm. and they came here and they started slowly being really disenchanted as they heard about kind of the abuse and stuff. And I was yeah. like, damn. Yeah. It's real. God. Um, God, I could talk about this shit all day. Yeah. Religion's fucking wild. I know. It's just wild that it's such a kind of, it almost feels like it's this leftover thing that, like I said, now we get to critique, mm-hmm. you know, but then some people are still so in it. Yeah, we but feel it really like it's feels... a leftover thing, but it's yeah, it's not for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's just when you think about it, just so <laughs> it's such a crazy force. It's just one yeah. of those things. Um, nativity scene. I guess we can get into how the Guardian art, uh, article. Their title was "We've Marie Condoed the Birth of Christ." Mm-hmm. <laughs> So this is the Guardian article that announces the nativity scenes, and it says we've Marie Kondoed the birth of Christ. Is that even... I do think that title, I will say that title is clickbait because I was ready to really get into it, and then all it Mm -hmm. says is, like, one user complained that, quote, we've Marie Kondoed the birth of Christ, and it's like, they Mm. they don't analyze that at all. I guess we are left to analyze it here on Illusion Pod, Mm -hmm. Um, but... Because yeah. Maria Kondo isn't about making things look different. She's about getting rid of shit, right? Yeah, yeah. It's about, like... And this is the thing, is maybe the nativity scenes didn't bring people joy anymore, so they made new ones. <laughs> and there's Very, very true. That. Yeah, because we've become aware of the, like, kind of, like, political terror of having, you know... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Jesus looked the way he does and all that. That's really true. Maybe it is Maria Marie Kondoed. Because I know that the book is not just getting rid of stuff, but it's also organizing things in uh, with consideration of the energy they may hold, which right. I love. Um, I think what I love about Marie Kondo... Is that how people say it? Marie, Marie Kondo? Marie, I, probably Marie. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. Marie Kondo, um, is that it's such another thing about, it's like Marie Kondo is one of those mainstream things that like hit the mainstream, but is extremely ritualistic, Mm -hmm. extremely spiritual, like in the sense that she, you know, says like objects hold 
you know, whether an object holds actual energy, like let's say if we imagine an object as like holding little particles and is like a little being that like, you know, whether it's that or that's just a really great way to symbolize our internal sentiments and attachments, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's spiritual as hell and mystical as fuck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea that you're supposed to hold an object and see if it sparks joy. Yeah. That's, and that also demands so much of you. I, I was thinking about this when we were getting ready to, to do this pod, and I mm-hmm. can't think of many things that would spark joy if I held them. Interesting. I really can't. And I mm-hmm. personally have gone through phases where I just give away so much without looking back. And it's things that are... Love that. You know, very... You would think you would want to hold on to, think that it would be sentimental, but the... I don't feel emotion toward a lot of things. And then if I do, it's an extreme detachment mm-hmm. <laughs> or almost an extreme displeasure that I'll just get rid of it. But it might be something that you would imagine one would want. But I, I'm curious how you feel about objects when you hold something. Does it bring you joy or bring you, what does it actually make you feel? You know, I think it used to be, I used to be extremely object-based. And uh, I love this question. Thank you for asking me this because <laughs> I'm now having like a realization of uh, sort of what's happened. And because I'm moving right now, mm-hmm. anyone who sort of watches my stories, you know, you'd know that I'm moving to be with, to be on an island. Um, <laughs> and a big part of that decision was the fact that I moved to this place in LA. And it was my first time having my own apartment, living alone, which has been my dream since I was a teenager. I was like, I just want to be a creative person in my own apartment. And so when I got, when it was happening, when it was being put together, I was so nervous. I was so excited. I even got a rash. That's how stressed I was about getting this place because it was such a big dream for me. And I was like, I'm going to live here. This is going to be long term. I'm going to acquire objects. Like I was very much like, I'm going to acquire beautiful things and I'm going to have all my paintings on display. I'm going to get a TV and a couch, like all these things. And then as time went on, I was like, wait, like, that's not what I want. Like, Mm -hmm. while I'm still in my 20s, while I'm working out of my laptop, it's like, I want to, like, see the world. I want to experience things. And I realized that my connection to objects, uh, it's so layered. But I really think, and I think you can relate to this, too, is that in a low-income household, Mm -hmm. (laughs) objects are a bit at, like, a higher standard, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like you keep everything. You keep oh, yeah. everything because you, you might need to use it. Mm-hmm. You keep everything because yeah, you just like might need to use it and it you could sell it one day. Like that's yeah. my whole life has been, you know, the TV is missing a remote, but keep it because you might sell it one day. <laughs> like it's just crazy. Yeah. And I was, you know, thinking about that and how limiting that can be and how, you know, even my parents have stuff stored. My, I was just talking to my sister. How my dad has these, like, posters stored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these, like, art posters that, like, one of his, you know, <laughs> Brazilian entrepreneur friends, like, <laughs> dumped on him when it was a failed business. And he, like, might try to sell them one day. It's been 20 yeah. years probably, you know. And it's, like, we get attached to all these things. <laughs> I'm just, like, there's so much to this. But I realize that as I've gotten older and really questioned that lifestyle, I just don't, like you said, I get way more like energy out of open space mm-hmm. than I do from objects more than anything. And I can relate that also to a spiritual sense of in my teens, especially, I was so sentimental about objects, mm-hmm. early 20s, very sentimental about objects. 
and all my spells and rituals and stuff were extremely object based Mm -hmm. you know like and I always tell people like everyone's magic is different and some people are very object based and so I came from so recently literally so recently being so object based being like this object holds this energy for me when I look at it I remember this is who I am I remember this person I remember my love for this person all these things to being like well that's really nice but in fact a picture is enough for me like Mm -hmm. a picture of you know a painting or an object that I did in the past I don't actually need it in person you know Mm -hmm. and I am way more excited by kind of being yeah just a energy in a big open space and seeing what happens and I feel it's a very new thing for me extremely new thing for me yeah absolutely you know yeah yeah I agree with that a lot um growing up my parents kept a lot of things and we always had a huge storage space that was totally cluttered oh yeah Um, I've seen it we had yeah you've seen it um it was pretty fascinating (laughs) it's pretty wild um it's no longer around but Oh, should I tell? Did tell it get them burned why? down? What? I mean, it, your parents don't. <laughs> my parents don't know this, but it was it was bulldozed because the building was destroyed for to rebuild, and they like my parents never got the notice, and I drove by, and it's totally flattened. So a lot of the yeah, because it wasn't like a real it wasn't a real storage. It wasn't like public storage. It, it was, was like garage. someone's garage. <laughs> they were renting out for really cheap. Yeah. <laughs> insanity oh my god so we had that and then we had a really small apartment and growing up I didn't have any space for myself I didn't have my own room and um and so I didn't really have this process of accruing items and then it becoming part of my daily viewing and I think maybe Mm -hmm. that's why I didn't attach to things as much um but Mm. I did I still kept everything And then growing up, I remember there was a certain point when I was like maybe 15, 16 and kind of coming into my own. And rather than having my own room or a place to put objects, I started realizing why was I keeping any of this? So there would be every week or every other week on Sunday, Mm -hmm. I would just start clearing things for no reason. It wasn't like we were moving, but it just felt like Mm -hmm. something to do. And it felt really good Mm -hmm. and it felt powerful. And now I feel that still I I moved in recently with my boyfriend and it was just like a very small truck of things mm-hmm. and like totally. two two cases of things and uh <laughs> but much more clothes than I need I I want to get rid of them but in terms of objects it's an interesting thing to see people who and this isn't a judgment I just find it interesting um mm. to see people who have the need to like move things into uh, different places and storages and and maybe I'll I feel like once I'll get older I'll start accruing things that have more value maybe to me and I'll mm-hmm. feel differently but I I find when I finally moved into my own room I just completely wanted a clear space and mm-hmm. it was just very important to me it still is to have clean surfaces and I think that then my ideas can go out and sit on the clean surfaces <laughs> so um no true yeah. But I do wonder if that relates to this idea that we are now living in the digital age where we don't have to mm. imbue so much importance with objects. And like you said, mm-hmm. a photo will do justice. But I've also found myself 
looking back in my phone recently and thinking, oh, I didn't know this photo was here. And I also mm-hmm. don't have this memory. And so it doesn't even really matter. You know, I know I was I was thinking about how fucking crazy it is that we actually how our phones help our memory, like the fact that I have a memory that's not stored in my brain and like hasn't mm-hmm. maybe will be triggered one day randomly, but like is just not there at all. Mm-hmm. I never think about it. And then I go on my phone. And I'm like, oh, that was a whole day I had. Yeah. And it's like your phone. I mean, that's the cyborg thing I'm always talking about. It's like, yeah, that is some cyborg shit that I have this external hard drive. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I have to use my hand and go in there and find it. It's not like beep boop two seconds. <laughs> but <laughs> not yet. Um, not yet, exactly. But, you know, even how there's this thing that keeps rolling out, I think, on every single app. It started with Facebook of showing you your memories oh, without yeah. you asking. Yeah. And I'm just like that's even more cyborgian because now you're taking out my autonomy (laughs) and my choice and now you're just adding memories to my internal hard drive from your external hard drive for sure and you know it's fun sometimes it's interesting I have no I have no complaints but I mean pretty I want to say psychotic but like in a good way like pretty fucking possessed (laughs) it's wild to me I think it's I don't know if it's healthy to constantly reinvigorate um, the. I don't think it is the state of nostalgia. You know, I think okay. This is something I've also been unpacking for a while. Is that energy moves faster than objects do? Uh-huh. And like you saying, when you move to your boyfriend's house, it's like. I think we hold on to objects because we are like objects are matter, bodies are matter, right? Energy is energy, so we hold memories and objects and they sort of ground us into this reality that they're related to Mm -hmm. even though our like soul has already passed on to our next life in the sense of like you know I really think we're just like ever changing at a rapid rate Mm -hmm. and the only thing that keeps us bound and almost like stagnant in our identities is these objects and these memories and these narratives you know yeah and it's like our soul's already out the door onto the next project, mm-hmm. which will we'll meet up with. Our body will probably meet up with it in five years or so, you know. Yeah. You know. But I find myself being like, okay, I'm not ready to give away this thing. But am I, though? And, like, in ten years, I'll be like, okay, why did I hold on to this for so long? Mm-hmm. Which I've realized from moving. Like, from moving, like, what? We've moved, like, four times. Like, there's so many things where I'm like, why did I carry this to two places? Like, mm-hmm. I really didn't need it. And it's like, oh, because my body moves slower Mm -hmm. than my energy does. But, like, you know, to tap into that open space is kind of what it takes, I think. Absolutely. And I think when you take the power into your own hands of letting things go, we detach from the narrative that we're holding. Like, I can't remember any of the things that I gave away. I really can't. Mm -hmm. But I do remember something that, like, a jacket that I didn't go back to a thrift store to get when I was probably in eighth grade and I still think about Mm -hmm. that jacket because I didn't get it wow because it wasn't Uh my my choice to not have it Mm -hmm. so if we can just continually take that power I think it it would change a lot of things it would change a lot of how we looked at the world Mm -hmm. and what we um prioritize yeah yeah, or at least shrink it down. Like, I can say the chair, I'm definitely going to keep that for my whole life. I really mm-hmm. yeah. connected to that. And certain pieces of art I really love. But yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah. And also, maybe what has changed is that, for example, in the past, you would hold on to objects because they were kind of one in a million to you in the sense mm-hmm. that if you had a vintage piece, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to hold on to this, right? But now with the internet, with eBay, with with the popularization of like, you know, unearthing everything in the fucking world, it's like, even if I have a cute vintage chair or something, I know that one day I can somehow find it again if it's meant to be right like it's not yeah it's like the nature of dating right now it's like you have a dating app and you're like (laughs) instead of falling in love with one person when you're 21 and being with them for the rest of your life you're like well yeah 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 yeah. I can always find that find that in another form yeah possibility possibility we live in the land of choice and possibility yeah simulated (laughs) there's also you know this this faith when you are able to give something away even if it's like a really amazing vintage item you know if you can't Mm -hmm. take it with you and you give it away it's a faith that something will come in its place you know as it I will say it does I mean we talked about this in like the love episode a little bit and I stand by this more than ever I've also been seeing it unpacked a lot in some certain like manifestation accounts like Mm -hmm. it's just been showing itself to me over and over but just the idea of like taking something out means something a better version will come in and I think of that every time like I have this pair of slides (laughs) that are like faulty like they're good if I'm gonna stand in one place Mm -hmm. but they will give me foot pain if I walk with them Mm -hmm. and I was like and they're also kind of rippled and weird like there's issues you know which ones I wear them to sew house all the time um and I was like I'm giving these away in faith that the better version that won't hurt my feet that won't be rippled uh, will come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I believe it fully. Yeah. You know, it's worked thus far. Yeah. So yeah, clear the shelves, you guys. Get the old get the old out. Yeah. Um but speaking of objects holding that relates to art. I do want to kind of ask you, you know, because I think you and I are super object based ritualists. Mm-hmm. Both like in art and personal spiritual ritual. Mm-hmm. Um and we both have key symbols that we bring up time and time again mm-hmm. or that have uh, an era. You know what I mean? Like you'll have your like egg era or your like orb era. Like yours yeah. are very, yours are very kind of like different spheres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what, you know, I think so for anyone listening who's been really interested in that kind of type of living of like ritual object, like symbol creating, like what are some objects you have that are representative to you and that have become a symbol in your life or like a vessel for ideas? Yeah, I think um, it started back in 2016-17 where I was thinking about just the nature of fragility and Mm -hmm. but vulnerability and perceived strength and Mm -hmm. how those are kind of the same thing, vulnerable actions and strong actions are the same really in a lot of ways and um it was a very vulnerable time in my life and so somehow I came to the object of an egg and I just latched onto it because it really I feel like I'm a little egg in many ways um you're so egg and you know the thin the thin exterior which also is quickly, hard that's why egg that's how we have an egg on the illusion pod fucking thing <laughs> yes 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 James took that photo of an egg yeah yeah and that's um, sorry keep going that's so 
then from the egg it evolved into orbs and eggs and orbs mm-hmm. both to me uh symbolize the cyclical nature of life um mm-hmm. and the optical illusion of obstacles right so you can break mm-hmm. an egg so easily but it seems so solid if you just saw it from a distance mm-hmm. um and an orb the orbs that i created uh were just made of paper mache and balloons i'm telling my trade secrets but <laughs> but you know they're but they could appear in a photo to be heavy and you can move in a way and hold them in a way that they seem heavy and um so a lot of the things that i come back to are just the um the illusions of obstacles and the illusion of cycles because also sometimes we fall into cycles and think that we have no power over them but you can break the egg open and make a, a fried egg you know you, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's things to do that can change the cycles um so i i always mm-hmm. come back to those things and also packing supplies are something that i started using my very first uh videos were very much centered around packing supplies and i don't use them as much i just want to say i would come home <laughs> when we lived together in venice which was our prime you know us living together in venice like that was like us having an artist residency i just want to say totally. like enough time has passed where like that entire like frame of time just feels so i don't know it's magnificent but i would come yeah. home in venice to james had filled our bathtub with pink packing chips yeah <laughs> or my favorite was when your whole bedroom was filled with pink yes. packing chips and you were making that video of you getting out of a pink packing chip bed and then putting your feet into a pink packing chip floor yeah I mean what a world <laughs> yeah that was a good video. I should put that up again um but packing supplies were so specific to you yeah and, and so unique I loved it yeah, and that was that came when I was working in an office, and I was surrounded by these packing supplies that would come in and out, and they would just get in thrown excess. away. Yeah, in excess. And after a while, I started saying, don't throw them in the dumpster, I'll take them home. And so my closet was full of these giant bags of packing supplies, and I felt like mm-hmm. they really symbolized how the the temporary and also a mortal nature of our lives because packing supplies last mm-hmm. for a really long time but we use them so quickly we go through them so quickly mm-hmm. but it's a playful way of 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 reminding people it's they're pink and they're light and they're fluffy and they're styrofoam mm-hmm. but they're so Transit. light but their structure is the thing that makes them important which is another thing mm. that boggles my mind. Um, we can move with lightness, mm. but the way that we take up space is important and how we d- decide mm. to do that. Um, there's so much I can go into with that. But those how are my we three, transition. I would say. Also, a yeah, projector, a projector, which I'll just say really quickly, is more of a tool, but I also find that as a symbol as well because you can move, you move with light when you're moving with a projector. And it, t- it mm-hmm. doesn't create an everlasting um, imprint on the thing that it's touching, but you can impact mm-hmm. it in such a way. So. Mm. Oh, so good. Like, I'm having this, like, wave of love for just that time and being able to be, like, in such close proximity with mm-hmm. each other while we were, like, fucking getting in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I love the packing supplies. I also just want to say if anyone's interested in the videos and content that is made 
with these symbols, especially James just uploaded two days ago, a really great meditation in a style that I don't think a lot of people are doing, which is the read it to yourself, which I think is extremely powerful. Um, But it's youtube.com slash swoon. It's our shared YouTube channel. It's like a playtime place and it's not, you know. Yeah. It's just there. It's just like fun for us. So yeah. I'll if put you the, see the packing supply video stuff. up too. I think you should. I yeah. think we should, especially now thinking about how potent that time was. It's like even if we don't think it was our most like <laughs> amazing current art, like I just, yeah. I love looking back at that and having it um, yeah. documented. <laughs> so good. What about your objects that you use? <laughs> in our artist residency I will say there's been a lot and I think a lot of people have sort of experienced them and I'm really open about them I think the most dominant one was probably the magic eight ball mm-hmm. because that one just hit me like that one was like it was the gift that kept giving um and it's still but it had its moment I think but for me the magic eight ball became that was actually something you brought into the house um, but it was something that I never saw in my own house. I always saw it at other people's house. I actually thought it was expensive growing up. I thought that the magic <laughs> ball was like a luxury. Um, <laughs> but you had one in the house and I would use it every once in a while. But I realized that the magic eight ball to me was so perfect symbol of like the hunt for meaning and the meaning of life mm-hmm. and answers because it was a toy. It's in the toy section, you know it's a it's a toy um and it has all of these answers other than yes or no you know you can get a maybe you can get a it's decidedly so it's my favorite one um it has 24 options for answers you shake it but it's so surreal in the sense like why is it an eight ball you know like it's just right (laughs) it's not and it's it's just so playful and to me it's like spirituality special especially or any kind of you know seeking in life mm-hmm. is the best kind is humorous it's done with humor it's done with playfulness it's done with a broad spectrum of possibility mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and so the eight ball became this really big symbol but it really became actualized when I found myself I think as many of us do in the beginning of our kind of uh <laughs> processes or like spiritual processes getting really attached to things like personality quizzes numerology mm-hmm. uh angel numbers uh and essentially just constantly looking for validation outside of me through divination like being like what is what message do i need to receive or like what is my horoscope telling me and yeah. i would read the horoscopes of like everyone i knew and myself and i started to be like i'm obsessed with these sort of frivolous vessels that give me quick quick cheap answers that aren't necessarily helpful right so I realized that and I was like oh the magic eight ball is that like I every moment that I reload an astrology page every moment that I you know pick a tarot card for like the 10th time because there's something in picking a tarot card in a moment of intensity mm-hmm. and there's something else in using it like every every day yeah yeah. for like everything you know <laughs> it's like so I was at that level where it was just I was overdoing it I didn't even know where I began <laughs> and um so I was like I had this urge to break it open and at first it wasn't entirely a symbolic thing it was more so just curiosity of like I want to take the eight ball out and I googled it and I didn't find anyone that had done it um and I was like okay I'm gonna do it and I thought initially that I would be able to crack it open by throwing it off the balcony <laughs> 
did not work. I tried so many different things. And that's what's also really symbolic for me about the whole process was I kept trying to break the eight ball plastic. I was burning it. I was throwing it. But all I needed to do was cut into the fairly thin clear plastic window Mm. that separates, you know, the floating dice in there from the rest of it. And then that was symbolic too, where it's like, what are these excessive stressful ways that we try to to get answers and like we do so much when it's like right there in front of us it's just you have to pierce like a very clear veil right right? right. and so it just became this intense like it was like a pilgrimage of like the mind (laughs) of me opening this thing and also like spending so long trying to open it and then the solution being so simple and then I took out the dye which I thought was blue but it turns out that it's white Ah. hollow very light suspended in blue liquid and blue alcohol which was another fucking trip of the fucking world Mm -hmm. and then so that became a huge symbol for me I mean I was obsessed with that thing that was my pride and joy for like three years um of just having that thing in my possession after going through all of that um but that's a big symbol for me and I think holding the die I still always have an eight ball in my house now a magic eight ball (laughs) and a um white die I'm actually, I'm moving and the magic eight ball I have, I'm going to give away, but I want to get a new one when I'm over there (laughs) because I feel like, I don't know, it just makes sense. Magic eight balls are like $10, but the white, yeah, that's been on my like dresser, new era, new eight ball, yeah. So I always have both now because I'm just as interested in the feeling of completeness and wholeness and knowing that I have all the answers inside me, but also the hunt I'm, I'm like I'm here like why not yeah. <laughs> you know so that's a huge symbol for me I mean I made drawings of it I made videos of it that was just do you remember I when I'm pretty sure we were in Venice and maybe I fabricated this memory maybe I didn't but I remember there being like <laughs> nails in the disposable or just uh not disposable the the sink nails in the sink oh my god the garbage disposal yeah, thank you. oh my god yeah because I attempted to crack open the eight ball by hammering nails into the seam <laughs> yeah. of it. And I was so, in such a spell that it, it got into the... I did it in the sink, and then it ended up in our garbage disposal. Yeah, okay, that did happen. Was, okay. Yeah. <laughs> artist residency life. There's nails in the disposal and packing supplies in the tub. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was just... I love that. I still have that um, the white uh, little dye in there, and I, I just... It's very special. But... That was a big one. But one I really want to bring up in terms of, I was thinking about a ritual I did on my birthday in 2019 and how a lot of the, it was a very object-based ritual. James was there. It was the biggest ritual mm-hmm. ever. It was so fucked. Um, but we had an altar, remember? And I was thinking today about the objects I had on the altar because one of the things I had was um, the book Seven Spiritual Laws of Success open to, I think, chapter seven, which mm-hmm. is, or chapter four, I forget. But it's... Um, the law of least effort Mm. which is like the idea that like abundance flows to you freely you don't have to like work super hard you don't have to stress yourself out and that was something that was so hard for me to untangle from my subconscious because it's like you know the low income thing is like you get so used to everything being a struggle and a bargain and a scheme like an elaborate scheme that you forget that sometimes things just magically happen so that was for me the big ritual was like I'm trying to change that subconscious construct I have that I need to like sacrifice my entire everything to get anything and then the other thing that I had was a scratch card that was unscratched Mm -hmm. 
And my whole plan with that ritual was essentially buying a scratch card, putting it on the altar and not scratching it until I felt the spell was like completely over and like out of my psyche. Mm -hmm. Because the idea was like being detached from money and success. Right. And I grew up in a family that still buys a lottery ticket constantly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I used to buy scratch cards. I would go through phases of being kind of a scratch card addict when I was working retail because there'd be this gas station across the street and I'd win five dollars and be like holy fuck imagine (laughs) um and so I wanted to detach from this kind of frivolous attachment to success or money and the results and I was like I'm gonna buy this scratch card yes and I feel like that's the only way to achieve abundance really is to be within the vibration of it and not be obsessed with like winning and I was like, I had the scratch card and I put it out there and I was like, I'm not going to scratch it. And like, I don't care if it's, a, even if it's the biggest winner, I'm not going to know and I'm not allowed to know and I'm detached. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because that actually did really help me. <laughs> like that ritual really had a big effect on my like finance brain. But that's just a really good example, I think, of uh, objects being used as subconscious mind changers like in ritual and like yeah I love that that was really important to me I did end up scratching the scratch card like a year later when I found it in a book Uh not a winner but it was like way later it was like finding like an old like receipt you know and I was like all right might as well scratch it and I was like cool okay yeah I do find the scratch card lottery ticket thing really interesting because I grew up in a family of my dad um who worked constantly, if he you pulled down the visor of his uh, driver's seat in the car, mm-hmm. there were uh, lottery tickets that were just all, like, safety pinned to it or a paper clip to it. Whoa. And so he kept it very secret, but he always bought lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, mm-hmm. like, last week, he was like, I'm buying a lottery ticket when it gets to this much. And mm-hmm. I've bought lottery tickets, too, but when I do it, God. it comes from a feeling of Ugh. desperation. And, like, I just need this yes, money yes. to get to the next point. Mm-hmm. And I just... Mm-hmm. And I... Because I, I know, obviously, people win the lottery. So it's I do wonder how people mm-hmm. achieve the vibration of winning. Because everyone that I know, personally, who plays the lottery, it's very it's a low vibration it's a well and because it's for me totally. it's desperation it is yeah it comes from a very kind of like even watching it go down like I mean only last week I was like my dad was like pick some numbers mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's crazy both our parents still play I know see that's another thing like I said you could be best friends with someone since yeah. <laughs> you're five and <laughs> learn more about their parents um yeah I didn't know that and the visor thing is also so trippy because uh that's so like movie that could be in a movie you know yes like that would be such a great character signifier of like a character is like you're in their car and then you casually see that they're a lottery ticket hoarder yes yes (laughs) also a visor blocks the sun yeah our parents like what's up with that symbol also our parents like weirdly have similar vibes like in their kind of like spiritual like obsession and like and scrappy entrepreneurship (laughs) Oh my god, so true. Oh my god. Uh wild. Uh spirals. Um but <laughs> maybe it's just yeah. 
But it is relative. Uh, I'm not gonna get into. It. I was about to like bring in a bunch of other friends we know that have like low income households into the mix of how similar the lifestyle is. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, lottery tickets. It would be interesting to make art about lottery tickets as a an energy. Um, totally. Yeah, bounce house. I just yeah. I think it's just really. I will just leave it at this for anyone who's interested in like object-based ritual, object-based art making, symbol making, a way to put it simple for me. And I think how James and I have always expressed it is like, think about how when you go to sleep and you have a dream and you dream about a fox in your bed, right? And then you go online the next morning and you're like, what does it mean when you dream about a fox? Like, what is this? And it's like, our dreams are literally telling us that our subconscious processes the world through symbols Mm -hmm. and that our energy literally came to this earth to communicate with symbols. Before there was language, we had bodies and and all these things that we used to paint pictures and tell each other information. All of that is physical. And it's like, if you want to speak to your subconscious, you got to use symbols. Everything is symbols. And then when you live that way, you'll see how how prevalent it is everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and I do think... Like, you'll understand. The one thing I will say is, like, there's... I think sometimes when you do lean into that, there then... Then you go completely to the other side of the pendulum where you see symbols in everything. And there's kind of a, mm-hmm. a medium that... I think there's always a, a balance that you're trying to find of not attaching to seeing something, not attaching to what does it mean. I think when you can really mm-hmm. detach from symbols... Um, the things that are important will stand out. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I have found symbols, the communication with symbols becomes so potent in potent times where, like, your awareness is so peaked. Like, for you, I remember you were, like, in Symbol Nation when you quit your job and transferred over to your mm-hmm. new one. Yeah. And you kept getting these, like, pushes. And it's, like, right now I'm getting an insane amount of symbols that began when I started moving. But it's not out of... I think the way to sort of gauge it would be when they're surprising Mm -hmm. you. Right. Simply because you're in a heightened state of awareness, naturally. Like, let's say you're in a heightened state of awareness because you're moving or because you're falling in love or any of these things in life that put our body into, like, wow mode where Mm -hmm. you're, like, more awake. Um you'll start noticing symbols more. And when they surprise you, I think that's where it's very healthy. But I think when you have nothing going on and the symbols, you're obsessed with symbols because you want to feel something. Right. right. I think that's when it can get a little problematic and a bit egotistical and maybe it make you turn to dark things. means. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're yeah. looking for because you even know, a if... sign in every window and then it's just like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Also, even if that's true, I always think about how like, you know, even if it's that true, like when you're on Molly and you're like manic as hell and everything is connecting, mm-hmm. even if that's true, like even if every second is a relevant connection, which I do believe, mm-hmm. it is not healthy to live that mm-hmm. way because we still need to be grounded. Sure. You know, it's like life is the battle of being ethereal and being like connection, 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 yeah. like to be balanced with the, you know, the body of, you know, peace, 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 harmony, harmony, harmony. Yeah, like, yeah. And you know, I think something that I like to do Stillness. when I see a symbol rather than attaching to the meaning of the symbol or the question mm-hmm. of the meaning it's just like it's a nod 
you know, it's a nod. A nod. We it's love like a nod. A, yes. A positive nod, a, a recognition. Mm-hmm. And that's all, you know, because that's mm-hmm. all we can really take from it. Because then you let the ego totally, get involved totally. and the ego wants to unpack it and the ego wants to find the right answer. But that's not Control, how, yeah. that's not actually how that communication works. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. So we really went in for like over an hour, like rapid fire. I love when that happens. Um, I do want to say, you know, we really want to dedicate this episode and close it off with just one of our friends and artistic partners, someone we've worked with, someone who I think really revolutionized, you know, certain, like had a major aesthetic influence on people. Mm-hmm. You know, she really started kind of this specific vibe that I now see coming a lot everywhere I would even say probably had a hand in why we have minimalist nativity scenes you know um but Rose Greenberg you all may know her as the just the person behind those squiggle pillows that have a lot of personality that are sort of amorphous shapes amazing fabrics and they kind of took Instagram and just the world by storm um she also made videos she made these incredible blankets she made ceramics Um, We had the pleasure of working with her, showcasing her art, being in her home. And she was a creative wonder. And she passed away this week. Um, And she just touched and influenced so many people. And it's hard for people to believe. She really did. And her, you know, we're talking a lot about objects this episode and objects that give joy. And her pillows really gave people joy and that was her whole purpose is just making people feel safe with pillows Mm -hmm. and comforted and um there was just so many times when I interacted with her and just left feeling so good because she was a genuine person like you hear the things where like Mm -hmm. the artists don't match up with their art and she was Mm -hmm. her pillows were the embodiment of her her art you know absolutely Um, and I really just when I thought of her I was like she's gonna just grow into this like contemporary like kooky artist you know it was I was Mm -hmm. really excited to keep watching her work and live Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we're so fortunate to have a body of work from her that will live on she really Mm -hmm. created so much you know uh and Mm -hmm. is now going to be an icon I think and I'm interested in seeing how her her um, legacy stands the test of time because I really do think it will and she touched so many mm-hmm. people um, totally. and I'm just grateful that we were able to interact with her however many times that we did totally Rose any amorphous blob like piece of furniture is because of you yes <laughs> um, but there was this article that came out in Vice that was like the rise of blobcore and this was in October, this was not that long ago, this was October, I just looked at the voice message timestamp, October 29th, mm-hmm. and we actually reached out to Rose because James and I both read the article and we're like, Rose isn't in this, like yeah. she is the queen of this kind of, basically to sum it up, and you guys can look it up, but it was an article about how um, during 2020, we kind of they watched kind of interiors and popular accessories and furniture from candles to pillows to entire you know chair sets went from sort of this minimalist you know off-white um kind of hard-edged aesthetic to something really more fun and colorful colorful and blob-like and I was like 
Rose was the first person I saw doing this yeah. long before the pandemic. Yeah. And so I remember reaching out to her and being like, did you see this? Like you were supposed to be in this. And we actually interviewed her for a episode, a future episode where this would tie in, like where we could talk about Blobcore, which probably would have been this episode, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we do have a voice recording of her that I would love to include in this episode of her describing her work. Yeah. And I think it would be a great way to remember her by her goal with these pieces her passion, and the idea that, you know, artists are incredible people, and we don't know so much about them, and they tell us stories through their work about what they care about, you know, and that lives on, and the way she felt about her work, the goal that she had with her work, you know, was not only so potent and true, but it was actualized, you know, like, I remember texting her because her pillow helped me with my breakup, because it was huggable in my sleep more than my other pillows you know and she you know and yeah so I think we should play that and just anyone out there who doesn't know who Rose Greenberg is I recommend looking her up you know look her Instagram has you know I hope it stays up because it's a beautiful archive of her work of all the different phases of it um but take a look take a look at it um, for those of you who have your pillows, which is a lot of you, because I posted about this and I got so many messages being like, oh my God, I have her pillow on my bed. You know, it was a gift. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's just remember that. Hold your artists close. Remember that they're very intentional in their work and yeah. amazing people special that beings. influence us. Very special beings. We love you, Rose. Love you so and much. just so much love to her family, her friends. And it was such an honor working with you. Truly. Such an yeah. honor. So I started making pillows about three years ago when I graduated from college and I had, I was living in Claremont at the time and I moved back to LA and I remember I was so excited because I was about to move into my first apartment. Um, maybe it wasn't my first apartment, but like the first apartment that I felt like, okay, I'm moving in, it's my space, I can, or it's beautiful, I can decorate it however I want. But I've never really liked shopping at, you know, uh, stores that have new items. It's sort of, for me, like, it's either handmade by somebody uh, or, you know, thrifted. Um, And so, and I just generally like to make stuff myself. So I needed some pillows, and I knew how to make pillows. I made one when I was really little kid that's how I learned to sew so I thought great what a perfect opportunity and I'm not just gonna make boring ones I'm gonna make like really interesting ones that I've never seen before um and would normally probably be way too expensive because there just wasn't a market for like handcrafted pillows that were unique and affordable and um so all of my shapes came from different places and and they're all important to me because um you know i i had to like go through the process of finding each one it's they're not just amorphous blobs they're like uh specific shapes you know we have like our comb and they're they're all meant to be sort of design design focused so um, the, the, like the, my idea when making these pillows was that like my house will look beautiful and super cozy 
and then they can be like for a kid that wants to play with them or a dog, but they can also go in like, you know, your local art mom's house and, be, you know, be on the couch and just like look really simple, but chic and unique. And, you know, when people go over to your house or the art mom's house, they like sit on the couch and put the pillow on their lap and weave themselves into it. And it just, I like to have everything in my life be multifunctional. I like it to be not just about, um, like, oh, it's a pillow and all you can do with it is put it on your couch and put your head on it. These pillows you can weave yourself through. You can put different parts of your body, like, you know, your neck in, into the holes. Um, they look great, but you can also, they're like just as useful when you can't even see them and you're just snuggling them at night. They're really, really comfortable. They're dense. I wanted also for them to be filled with something natural so that I didn't have to worry about like what's going to happen to um, this filling in a hundred years time or 200 years when these, when, you know, they, everything disintegrates eventually. And I want things to be able to go back to the earth. Why do I think they've been so successful and loved? I think that people really, this is something that the article did touch on that, you know, there's a big like vibe, like minimalist trend happening. And it just got kind of sterile feeling and I wanted to I've never wanted my spaces to feel sterile and so I make these as like space warmers and human warmers all right that was lovely I love her work so much yeah um but I guess that's that's our time that's the show (laughs) 